Welcome to the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. Under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you to join us now for a message of hope. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, I read a book entitled, um, Here If You Need Me. It was by Kate Braestrup. Kate is a minister. She's actually the chaplain for, uh, for the uh, game wardens in the state of Maine. When she was a young lady, she was married to a man named Drew. He was a state trooper in Maine. They had four children together. They really had a blessed life. They were best of friends deeply in love with each other. And one morning, it was just an ordinary morning, they got up and they were getting ready for the day, just like they always would do. Trying to get the four kids up, get them dressed, have breakfast, get them out on their way to school. Drew left for work, and there patrolling the roads in his area of town, a driver lost control of his truck, and Kate lost a husband who received the word that your husband was suddenly gone? A young woman, mother of four, to have to contemplate the future without the person you loved the most? It was one of those kind of things, how do you deal with this? How do you wrestle with that kind of grief? She received the word. She was at home, obviously in shock. A friend came over to the house She was on the phone starting to call people. It was so painful. There was a knock at the door. Her friend went to open the door, and when she did, here was a young man standing there, all nice and neat in a suit with a religious pamphlet, and said, Have you heard the good news? Her friend didn't know whether to slug him or to laugh, so she simply closed the door. It was only a few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. Kate was off the phone. She now went and answered the door. But now it was her next door neighbor. A neighbor she had lived beside, but they never really had talked much through the years. But her neighbor was standing there with potholders on. And she had a pan of brownies straight from the oven. Tears were streaming down her cheek as she said, I just heard I'm so sorry. And Kate said she became the good news. She and people from her church who started bringing meals, so many meals that she and her four children could eat three meals a day for weeks when Kate really didn't have the strength to be able to cook. It's when the men in the church came to her house and hung the sheetrock to finish out the game room that Drew hadn't gotten around to. It was those who came and mowed the grass, those who came and changed the oil in the truck. 
No, she said it was her family and friends, that family of faith that surrounded her. They became the good news that kept her on her feet when she didn't think it was possible where she could still put one foot in front of another when she felt like going to bed and never getting up again. Ultimately, Kate felt a call to go to seminary. It's something Drew had actually been talking about, retiring from being a state trooper and going to seminary. And she felt that call and went back and became, became a minister and became the chaplain for the game wardens there in Maine. It would be six years later, she would open her heart again. She would love again and get married. Two more children, now a mother of six. She wrote the book in order to talk about her journey, her life. Because it really is a story about how do you live through the most difficult moments of grief when you are totally overwhelmed And yet you find strength to go on. And what you discover is God can heal the broken heart and He binds up their wounds. You experience the gift of God's mercy. This morning our our scripture lesson comes from the 147th Psalm. If you go back and read Psalm 146 through 150, 150 is the last one in the book of Psalms. If you go back and read through those, you will see that each of those Psalms begins with praise the Lord. And it ends with praise the Lord. The word is hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise. Yah, Yahweh, the Lord. Hallelujah. Yah, praise the Lord. These five psalms are all about trying to praise God, thinking of God in His greatness, the one who created the stars and all the heavens and the earth, and yet the one who shows compassion on the individual. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Most scholars believe that these five psalms were written after the exile. Again, you remember the people of Israel, they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They were taken out of their holy land. They could no longer worship in Jerusalem. They could no longer worship there at their homes. No, they were taken away into Babylon where they were captives. And they would write about that experience and say, we sat down by the waters and we could not play our lyre and our harp There was no song in our heart. We were away from Jerusalem. But then along would come Cyrus and the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And Cyrus said, you can go home. And so now the people came back to their holy land, back to their homes, back to their vineyards, back to the temple in Jerusalem. And it was those people who were acquainted with grief, those who understood pain and loss and suffering, they are the ones who could sit down and write, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The one who creates the heavens and the earth, well, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This morning, 
I want to conclude this sermon series, Snapshots. For five weeks now, we've been looking at the characteristics, the nature of God, and we've been coming up with a scripture, just always very short, that said something about who is God. And then we've been looking to see if someone took a snapshot of our life, would you see that characteristic in our lives? What I want us to look at this morning is mercy. We as a people of faith believe that God shows mercy. When we have had those most difficult of hurts, when our hearts are breaking and you don't think you can go on, we've experienced God's grace where it heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. It's what gives us hope. God's mercy. If someone were to take a snapshot of you, would they see mercy? Three things that I want to say about that this morning. First of all, it's when you and I worship the greatness of God that a humble spirit grows within. When you worship the greatness of God, a humble spirit grows within. The reason you and I come together and worship Sunday after Sunday, the reason we encourage you to have a daily devotional is so that we stop and we think about Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. You and I come and we sing the songs. Hallelujah! We come and we kneel here at the altar to show submission before God. We bow our heads. It is those ways that you and I go through in worshiping to remember we are not the center of the universe. We are not in charge. That's Almighty God. And when you remember the greatness and the majesty of God, it helps you know your place in the universe. It creates a humble spirit within. Now, you know, for the last week, we've been hearing so much. Every newscast I watch has something about Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali obviously has died, and we had all of his services, multiple services, and Muhammad Ali is always referred to as the greatest. And we know that because he told us so. I know that later in his life he did many wonderful humanitarian things to bless people. But you know, I, I was around, I remember very well when he was Cassius Clay and he beat Sonny Liston. And he started telling us how he was the greatest. And I always found him a little braggadocious and in our face and criticizing others and he was the greatest. And so I've been watching that for all this week, hearing these things and seeing the clips of his earlier life over and over again. And I think the reason it hit me strange was because I've been following our group who was in the Holy Land. I've been getting phone calls and text messages and watching the videos. I'm seeing these people who are walking where Jesus walked who are there at those places and are being told again of the stories of how Jesus healed the sick, how He fed the 5,000, how He raised the dead. He was the greatest. But He never said that about Himself. No, He was the one who would eat with sinners, eat with the outcast care for the poor and the widow. 
he was the greatest. And as I've listened to them, and as they have gone to all these places, what I've been hearing from them over and over is how it is changing their spirit, changing their soul, the very way they feel. Because you experience the majesty of God as you grow closer to Him, and it helps you to understand your place in the world. And we don't have to go to the Holy Land for that. It's why we worship each week. It is why we have our daily devotional life. It's why you can worship anywhere, and I encourage you to do so. So that each week we stop and we take ourselves out of the center of the universe where everything doesn't revolve around me and my wants and my hopes and what makes me feel good. You grow an humble spirit. I told you last week about Charles Lindbergh. And I just think he's an amazing man and what he accomplished. How in 1927, he took off in his plane called the Spirit of St. Louis, a small single-engine plane, and flew from New York nonstop to Paris. The first person ever to make that jump across the North Atlantic solo, nonstop. I mean, that was a big deal. You and I don't appreciate how much the world was watching and what a big deal it was. They didn't have mass communications like us, but word still spread. And when he landed in Paris, late at night, there was 150,000 people out there to take him out of the plane, carry him off on their shoulders. He was the greatest. He came home to a ticker tape parade in New York. Four million people turned out, more than any parade before or since. And then it was on to Washington, D.C., and then to St. Louis. And I told you last week how when he got through with the parade in St. Louis, he didn't tell anybody, but he got in his plane, the spirit of St. Louis, and flew to Dayton, Ohio, to go see Orville Wright. Wilbur had died. But Orville was there. It had been only 23 years before, on December the 17th, 1903, that Orville had become the first man ever to fly. And Charles Lindbergh wanted to go. He knew he was the one who had opened the door for him. He was the saint on whose shoulders he stood. And they became great friends. And one of the fascinating things, I didn't tell you, the the next part of that story is that Charles Lindbergh then donated the spirit of St. Louis, his plane, to the Smithsonian. And it became the centerpiece when you walked in the door to the Smithsonian, there was the spirit of St. Louis. I mean, it was awesome. Everybody wanted to see it. What the Smithsonian did not have was the right flyer, the small little bi-wing airplane of Orville and Wilbur's. Because Samuel Langley had been the curator at the Smithsonian, and he too was trying to create the first airplane. He wanted to be the first to fly. He conducted a number of experiments. They failed. But the Smithsonian, since they were in charge of writing history, claimed that Samuel Langley was the first one to fly, not the Wright brothers. And so Orville and Wilbur did not give them the plane. In fact, negotiations went on until the mid-1940s when finally the Smithsonian came clean and said, all right, Orville and Wilbur really did fly first. They really did invent the airplane. And when they finally agreed to the history, then they got the plane. It had been given to a museum in London. 
and the plane was coming back home now to the Smithsonian. But what do you do with the spirit of St. Louis? So when Charles Lindbergh heard about it, he was the one who went to the curator and said, move my plane back. Put it in the back of the Smithsonian. And if you walk in the front door of the Smithsonian today, you look up and there is this bi-wing airplane, the Wright Flyer of Orville and Wilbur's hanging at the front door. And right beside it on the ground is the Apollo 11 capsule in 1969 that Neil Armstrong flew to the moon. The spirit of St. Louis is further back in the museum. Because Charles Lindbergh understood there were those on whose shoulders he stood, those who had blessed his life. He had an humble spirit. It's something we need in our culture and society today, an humble spirit. And it's when you worship the greatness of God, when you think with the psalmist about the stars that are flung into the sky and the creation of heaven and earth, that we begin to worship God and we see our place. And it's an humble spirit. Secondly, when you have an humble spirit, it helps open your eyes to see the people around you who need mercy. As long as you are the center of the universe, as long as your wants, your desires, your ego is dead center, you don't see the needs of those around you. You can't help bind up their wounds. You don't help heal the brokenhearted because you're the center of everything. You know, I, I've been having a, a little bit of nostalgia last week and this week is Today is a special day for me in that it starts my 26th year at St. Luke's. Last Sunday was the completion of 25. It has my, completed my 43rd year as a Methodist minister. Started with a little country church in a town of 200. Not a church of 200, a town of 200. We had about 40 who'd come to church on Sunday morning. It was Richards, Texas. Last week I told you about Hillman Urey. He was in his 60s when I showed up at 19 and and he was the chairman of the board and kind of became my mentor and associate pastor. And then Miss Isabella Norman, Miss Lenorman, she was the organist. Such a special lady of faith and wisdom. You know, I'd been there about six months. And at the end of six months, I'd come to know the people and I'd been preaching. I was giving my heart. And I got to tell you, it was so tough. I mean, after the first week, I'd told them everything I had to know. I was 19. That's about how much you know at 19. I'd given it all to them. And how do you have those things to share? And I was with Miss Lenorman and I said, you know, Miss Lenorman, I don't know why anybody comes to church. Nobody has any problems. And Miss Lenorman said, oh, Bob, we all have problems. We're just very careful not to let you see. That's 43 years ago, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Because what I've learned in all my ministries for the last 43 years is everybody has problems. Everybody has a heart that hurts. Everybody gets struck with those moments when you're not sure how you go on and how do you put one foot in front of another. We've all been there. 
We have been the ones who need someone to heal the broken heart. To bind up our wounds. We've been there. You know, I've come to see they are there. It's just so often we don't see them. Especially if we have a, an arrogant and haughty spirit. I told you how Marsh and I were out in Portland recently for a general conference. Out there for two weeks. Before we went, we were told how Portland has the third largest homeless population in America. Now, there are reasons for that. We learned about it, but they were just trying to warn us ahead of time, you are going to encounter a lot of homeless people. In between the convention center and when you go to your hotels, it's going to happen every day. And sure enough, it was true. It turned out that I was at a hotel where each day I had to walk a couple blocks and get on their little tram called the Max, and then you'd ride the train from there all the way to the convention center. I would get up and go early because there were things that I needed to do that were there. Marsha would come a little later when the business sessions got going. And she was talking about how one day she, she got on the Max and she hadn't had breakfast and she saw McDonald's, got off, and went in to order a breakfast sandwich. And at the counter the man said, um, look, today we're having a special. If you buy a breakfast sandwich for $3, you can have a second one for one more dollar for $4. Would you like two? And she said, no, no, one is fine. She reached down to get her money, and when she did, she saw her bracelet from the Kindness Project. You and I have made a commitment this year that every day we are going to try to perform a kind deed. Every day we will make a conscious decision to do something to bless a life. And then we will change our bracelet. I've never worn a bracelet so much in all my life as I have this year. But we said if we will do this together, I believe that as a family of faith we can create a million acts of kindness in Oklahoma City in this year. And many of you have told me wonderful stories of the things you have done. She looked down and she saw her bracelet. And she said, hey, excuse me, I'll take two. She bought her second breakfast. And when she walked out, she knew she was going to look for a homeless person. It did not take long to find one and to offer her breakfast. And they were so appreciative. Because there are many who need to be blessed with bread. And there are those who need to be blessed with an encouraging word. And there are those who need to be blessed with a hot pan of brownies. And there are those who need to be blessed with someone to cut the yard. And someone to give you a shoulder to cry on. No, the needs are everywhere. They are great. But it's not until you live in an humble spirit with your God that it helps to open your eyes to see those who need mercy. And so third, if you ask yourself the question, why am I here? Everybody asks it sooner or later. Why am I here? I believe one of the reasons you're going to come up with is to show mercy. The reason we are here to show mercy. 
You know, one of the members in this family of faith who is just truly a saint in the church is a lady named Virginia Johnson. What a fun lady. Virginia is now 101 years old. Many of you know her. She is just so kind, such a lady of faith, so positive, a smile on her face, so optimistic. She's, she truly is an amazing lady. When she turned 100, Marsh and I went to her birthday party. She is now in an assisted living home. Um, she still can get out some, but she was in an assisted living home. Her mind is fine. And we were there, and we had a great time at the party. But while we were there and visiting and laughing, Virginia said, You know, Bob, I've been trying to think, why is God keeping me here? And I finally figured it out. It's so I can try to put a smile on some of these people's faces. We have so many people here who are so unhappy about being here and their life. I've decided it's my job to put a smile on their face every day. One of the reasons you're here is to show mercy. I believe God can use you. I believe God can use you to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. You know, we talk about being people of faith. Faith is more than what you believe. Faith is what you do. Your faith is how you act. And when we worship God, the greatness of God, and we live in a humble spirit, we then can see those who need mercy. And when we do it, we become the hands of God. God's nature is revealed in us. He uses us to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. I was mentioning last week one of my favorite books, Have a Little Faith by Mitch Albin. Just such a great book. I've gone back to read through it all over again. Because it's such a great story. You know, Mitch Album is a sports writer from the Detroit Free Press. He grew up Jewish, very active in the synagogue. He had one rabbi all of his life. He loved him. I mean, he was a cantor. He would ultimately lead youth groups. Went off to college, became very successful in his career. And as the success grew, he left more and more the synagogue and God behind. And soon God was a distant thing for 20 years. And then one day he was giving a speech and his old rabbi was there now in his early 80s. And after the speech, his rabbi said to him, Look, Mitch, would you do my eulogy when I die? And Mitch thought, Oh my goodness. Obviously the rabbi must be sick. And he thought, I've got to catch up on the last 20 years and find out what he wants me to say. So he started coming in once a week and once a month to be able to visit with his old rabbi, only to discover the rabbi was perfectly healthy and lived another eight years. But as he came back to visit with his old rabbi, they began discussing life and it led Mitch back to the synagogue, back to worshiping God, back to growing in faith. It changed his life. But he learned a whole lot from his rabbi as he had to interview him. What do you want me to say? What are the things I need to know? He asked his rabbi, why do you think we're here? And Rabbi Albert Lewis said, We are here to honor God and enjoy His creation. We are here to celebrate God 
and to help others. That's it. That's it. Enjoy the creation of God that is given to us. Celebrate God and help others. The psalmist said, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Honor the one who created heaven and earth and show mercy. Well, he visited with his rabbi and he said, Look, I know that it's important to help one another and you go visit people all the time. Do you ever go visit people in the hospital you don't know? And his rabbi laughed and said, Well, two weeks ago. And he told him a story of, how two weeks ago is at night he got a phone call and a person said there's a woman who's dying here at the hospital and she wants to talk to you. He did not know the people. He did not know really who had called. He was simply given a room number. He got dressed and went to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, he went and he found the room and he looked inside and sure enough, there was a woman lying on a bed gasping for breath. She obviously was dying. And sitting beside her was a man holding her hand. And it turned out to be her husband. And when he walked into the room, the man said, Who are you? Well, I'm a rabbi. I was told that a woman had called and she wanted to talk with me. Talk with you? Does she look like she can talk? She can't talk. Who called you? Who called you? I don't really know. Then why are you here? Who called you? Oh, he was angry. He was grieving. He was hurting. He loved his wife so dearly. And so while he's angry and hollering, Al just sits down. He sits down and lets him kind of rant for a while until finally he begins to talk himself out. Finally, he said to Al, Are you married? Yes. Do you love your wife? Yes. Do you want to see her die? And Al said, no, as long as there is hope, she can live a meaningful life. And that opened the door to a conversation about living and dying and life after death. And so they sat and they talked for the next hour. Finally, at the end of an hour, the rabbi said, could I offer a prayer for you and your wife? I would appreciate that. And he said to Mitch, so I offered a prayer. And then what? I left. So you came, you visited with a stranger who was grieving and upset for an hour, and you didn't even know them. Yes. Who called you? Well, he said, I don't know for sure, but I know. You see, there is this lady up there who is a nurse. She's been there a long time. I've seen her many times. She is a devout Christian. And when I left the room, I saw her. She caught my eye. She did not say anything, but she gave me a slight smile and she nodded and hurried down the hall. It was her. I know it was her. Wait a minute. Are you mean to tell me a devout Christian called a rabbi to come visit with a strange man who was hurting? Yes, she saw a man who was alone and grieving and she wanted someone to care. 
Wow, that must have taken a lot of guts on her part. Yes, said Al, but it also took a lot of love. It takes a lot of love and a humble spirit to open your eyes to see those around you who need mercy. I believe God can use you to help heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. If somebody took a snapshot of you, would they see mercy? It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been watching the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. If you would like a CD or DVD of today's worship service, please call us at 405-232-1371 or visit our website at www.stlukesokc.org. We trust that you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week. Tune in next week for a message of inspiration and hope.